Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's great to see you all this morning. Uh, another Sunday morning, and I'm sad to say that we're uh, still quarantining, but everybody feels fine and uh, no symptoms, so we're just grateful to the Lord for that, and I pray that we'll be able to be back with you uh, next Sunday, so looking forward to that. Uh, this week, we're going to be continuing our study in the Book of Romans uh, in a message that I'm calling The Enemy Within. This is Romans chapter 7 verses 14 to 25. Uh, before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Uh, dear Lord, we are thankful for your word. We are thankful uh, for all that it teaches and instructs us. Lord, help us by the power of your Holy Spirit this morning to understand what you have for us as we uh, study Paul's struggle with sin. Lord, may it really convict us and at the same time encourage us, Lord, that someone so great as Paul should have these struggles. And so it's okay that we have them too. Lord, we ask that you bless our time together this morning. Uh, Lord, we're just thankful for Grace Redeemer, and we're thankful that you have kept the members of our body uh, healthy from the coronavirus. And Lord, uh, we are just so grateful to you. We love you, and may this time be glorifying to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, you may not believe it, but uh, this week marks already three years uh, that we've been at Grace Redeemer Community Church. It's hard to believe how fast time goes, and it's been an incredible three years for my family and for me, and I have loved every minute of it, and I've been stretched in ways that I could not have anticipated or imagined. Uh, I've made great new friendships. I've grown closer to God, and in my relationship uh, with Jesus during this time. But by no means would I ever say that I have arrived. I mean, every day I see evidence that my sin nature is still alive and well within me. And as much as I want to defeat it, uh, well, sometimes sin still rears its ugly head. And it really bothers me that I still have many of the same sinful thoughts that I had before I was a Christian. Uh, a recent example, uh, since we are quarantining, I recently uh, tried to do an online food shop at Walmart, and I took a, a half hour to carefully put all these different items in my cart, and uh, we have to have the right kind of Pop-Tarts for Brian and the right kind of sunflower seeds for Allie. This is serious stuff, and we have to get this right. Uh, but when I clicked Submit Order, a screen popped up that said, uh, sorry for the inconvenience. We're, we're currently unable to accept reservations, all times currently booked, uh, that kind of thing. And uh, so I immediately thought, if my list isn't saved and if I have to start this all over again, I'm just going to, you know, uh, you've been there too. Uh, it just popped into my head uh, because I struggle with impatience and I get frustrated when things don't work like they're supposed to. Uh, don't judge me. Uh, your testimony is probably the same. Well, most of us uh, have spent years uh, as Christians, uh, and yet sometimes the days are a struggle, the minutes are a struggle. Uh, we know what a sinless 10 to 15 minutes looks like, because now and then we're, we're able to do that. Uh, but there is no such thing as a perfect Christian. We are all prone to selfishness, to lust, pride, impatience, and countless other sinful cravings. And sometimes we give in to those desires. And even if we don't sin by our actions, which is hard enough, we know that 
internally, we're still harboring sinful thoughts. Uh, we can't ever be perfect. Uh, but praise God, that doesn't mean we aren't Christians. We became Christians when we accepted God's invitation to believe in Jesus Christ for our salvation. And now, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Our eternity is secure. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us, leading us to do God's will. We know all these things are true. And so the question then, why is it so hard to do what's right all of the time? Well, the process of sanctification is the lifelong process of becoming more and more like Christ. And the Christian life requires dogged determination and persistence in fighting against our sin nature. It's a mighty struggle, a tug of war, because sin is such a fierce opponent and it wants to rule our lives and it wants to take us down and Satan desires to kill us and rob us and destroy us. And if he can't manage to snatch a believer from Jesus's hands, well, he's certainly going to use every tactic he can to get us to sin, to hurt our testimony, uh, to torture us with temptation and guilt. So we've got a real fight on our hand uh, against a relentless opponent. And this is where Paul was writing from in verses 14 to 25. And all believers share his experience and his frustration. Even after Paul became a Christian, he still had to battle this enemy within. And in the passage that we discussed last week, I uh, remember we said that most of the verbs were in the past tense. And I said uh, that Paul was probably talking about himself before he became a Christian. Uh, he knew the law. He just hadn't yet been convicted of it. And so that was his uh, coming to uh, Jesus moment, as it were, as an unbeliever, realizing that he couldn't keep the law. But now in verses 14 to 25, the, the verbs are present tense, which seems to indicate this ongoing struggle with sin uh, that Paul was experiencing as a believer. Now remember, Paul had been a Christian for about 25 years by the time he wrote Romans. So we might ask, do you mean to tell me that after 25 years of being a Christian, people still struggle with sin? Well, uh, what's been your experience? Yeah, uh, 25 years, 50 years, 75 years, 100 years after being a Christian, we still never have sin quite licked. I heard uh, Chuck Swindoll tell a story once about a Christian man, uh, about 85 years old, he asked uh, when he was finally able to conquer his struggle against lust. And the old man said, well, uh, I'll let you know when I do. Uh, so uh, we never quite do get over it. And so I think it's important uh, to convince you that Paul was writing about his experience as a believer, because otherwise it would be hard to apply this passage to our lives today. And there are scholars who think that a believer could not have written some of these things in this passage. Take verse 14, for example, I am sold as a slave to sin. How could a believer write that? Verse 18, I know uh, nothing good dwells in me. Verse 23, wretched man that I am. Verse 24, who will save me from this body of death? Those words sound like the words of an unbeliever, uh, but let's look at the other evidence. I've already mentioned the use of present tense verbs, which seems to indicate an ongoing struggle uh, with sin. Uh, but uh, there is other evidence as well. 
so an unbeliever would not have this internal struggle with sin, right? He, he, wouldn't, he would just sin without even having the struggle, without agreeing and confessing that the law is good, as Paul said in verse 16. And he would not joyfully concur uh, with God in his inner man in verse 22. And he would not thank the Lord for setting him free from this body of death in verse 25 uh, if he were an unbeliever. So it's only in recognizing that Paul was writing here as a believer uh, that we can make sense of our own battle with sin because uh, believers have the Holy Spirit, but we also have this uh, enemy living inside of us uh, and that enemy is our sin nature. Paul called it the flesh uh, frequently throughout his letters. And so uh, this flesh, this sin nature is opposed to God. It's a ruthless tyrant constantly getting us to try to please ourselves and to look out for number one. And so Paul's struggle is common to every believer. And these re verses reflect how Paul uh, sorted it all out. And so what we'll see uh, in this passage is that there are three problems with us. There are two laws at war, and there is one solution to the problem of sin. So let's talk first about the three problems with us. Uh, in verses 14 to 20, uh, Paul followed this pattern, uh, and he wrote almost the same thing twice. And the pattern is first to talk about the weakness of the flesh, and then that his will and his actions did not match. And then finally, that the warfare uh, was caused by this enemy of sin that lived inside of him. And so we see the pattern first in verses 14 to 17, and then repeated in verses 18 to 20. And so that was the chart that I sent you uh, with the bulletin uh, yesterday, and I'm going to refer to that chart now. You can either uh, take it out and, and look at it in paper form, or I'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, but let's look at the chart so you can see the pattern, and then we'll talk about what he said. So what we see uh, is that in verse 14 and in the first half of 18, Paul said that he is of the flesh, and there is nothing good that dwells in him in verse 18. And when he says there's nothing good that dwells in him, it doesn't mean that he never does anything good. It just means that the things that he does that are good are contaminated by his sin nature, and that every aspect of Paul was contaminated by his sin nature, even though he's still able to do some good. Uh, it's Paul's recognition in these uh, verses that his flesh is weak. And then in verses 15 and 16, uh, and again in verses 18 and 19, the theme is that his will and his actions don't match. He knows the good that he should do, but he doesn't do it. Uh, the things he knows he shouldn't do, those are the things he does. And then to close out each pattern, in verses 17 and in verse 20, uh, Paul concluded that since he was of the flesh and he did the opposite of what he knew was right, well, there's indwelling sin, and that's the problem. And so Paul's reason for repeating the pattern was probably for emphasis, uh, either that or he was so distraught by the problem that he couldn't stop talking about it. But either way, Paul must have thought it very important that we understand this to have written it twice. So let's look at the three problems that cause believers to struggle with our sin nature more closely. And the first problem is that we are of weak flesh. We're of the flesh and the flesh is weak. Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold into bondage to sin. 
Remember in verses 7 to 13 that we looked at last week, Paul passionately argued that the law is not sin. The law is good. It's holy. It's righteous. The problem is not with the law. The problem is with us in, in our flesh, in our sinful nature. And here Paul continues the argument by saying that he knows that the law is spiritual. And that means that the law has a spiritual source, and that's God, who is perfect. And since God is perfect, of course, his law is perfect. And so Paul contrasted this spiritual law with his fleshly self. And the contrast is seen in the word, but. The law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh. And so we see that the law and the flesh are opposites. Now, notice that Paul didn't say he was in the flesh. To say that would mean that he was still unsaved. To, to be in the flesh would mean that he was not in Christ. But he said that he was of flesh. And that means that even though he was saved, the sin nature that was still present within him caused him to be weak and caused him to be susceptible uh, to continue in sin. And then Paul says something surprising that he is sold as a slave to sin. Now, this statement is why some commentators think that Paul must have been writing about his, his experience while still as an unbeliever. Because after all, Paul said earlier that we are free from sin and free from law. So how could Paul be saved and still be sold into bondage to sin? Well, this passage makes it clear that there is tension in the Christian life. Even though we're saved, the tension remains. And so if you ever wonder why you continue to commit the same sin over and over or think the same impure thoughts over and over, it's not because you're not a believer. It's because the war rages on, even for Christians, and it will never be over while we live. Our struggle with sin is part of the sanctification process. Uh, God uh, uses sin to make us more like Christ. And so this sin nature in us survives even after we become Christians. And it is radically opposed to God. And so compared to God's perfect law, Paul is sold as a slave to sin. Uh, he's a sinner. He recognizes it. And you can just feel Paul's anguish as he wrestles with his problem throughout the passage. And we are so happy ourselves that Paul did wrestle because it's instructive for us. If such a great Christian as Paul struggled with this, we should not be surprised that we do too. And because Paul takes his sins so seriously, uh, we should too. Uh, we can be tempted as Christians not to take our sins seriously. Uh, after all, we've been saved. We've got our fire insurance. Uh, and there are some who hold to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called cheap grace. And that's the idea that since we can't defeat sin, and as long as we're saved, it's okay just to let sin bully us. Why not give in to momentary pleasure since our eternity is secure? And it's clear from this passage that that is not the right answer. Uh, Paul wouldn't countenance such an answer even for a second. So that can't be right. But then there are others on the other side of the spectrum who think that it's possible for a believer to live a sinless life. Uh, that was a very prominent theme of the holiness movement of the middle 19th century. 
uh, the teaching was that a person with the Holy Spirit could eventually achieve perfect holiness or sinful perfection while on earth. And we see from this passage that that can't be true either. So this passage debunks both of those theories. So what we see is that we should never be comfortable with our sin, but we should also realize that we will never completely be able to defeat it. If we could, Paul would not have had this struggle. And so we see that the flesh is weak. The struggle that Paul has is typical of the struggle that every believer has. And in fact, it's the struggle that proves that we are believers. If we weren't believers, we wouldn't care if we sinned. Uh, but with the Holy Spirit, uh, even though we have the Holy Spirit, we still haven't been able to shed our weak flesh. And so that's the first problem. We are of the flesh and the flesh is weak. Let's talk about the second problem. Uh, and that is that Paul's will did not match his action. Verses 15 and 16. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to, but I am doing the very thing that I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So Paul continues to articulate the problem in verses 15 and 16. His will doesn't match his actions. His actions don't match his will. He didn't do the very thing he wanted to do. The thing he did, didn't want to do, that's what he did. And so this inner turmoil inside of Paul is palpable to us as we reach uh, read this passage. And we've all had this experience. Uh, we may have even had it today as we wrestled with whether we should come to church or whether we should uh, even get out of bed to, to watch it on, uh, on uh, Facebook Live, or should we just uh, allow ourselves to sleep through it? Uh, we have this struggle every day, uh, and we continue to have to ask ourselves why we do what we know is wrong and we don't do what we know is right. And sometimes we do the very thing that we know is wrong and we immediately regret it. We ask ourselves, how could I do that? I, I know it's wrong. And yet I did it without even thinking twice about it. And it's at those moments, uh, dear Christian, that we realize how far short we fall of God's perfect standards and how badly we need his grace. So as we think about Paul, and we think about Paul thinking about Paul's own sin. I just imagine Paul uh, roaming around the world on foot and on horseback for thousands of miles during many years of ministry. And I imagine him surviving beating after beating, shipwreck and snake bites and stonings and the stress of the failings of the churches that he started. Uh, Paul's life was not easy. And you'll remember from verse 7 that we talked about last week that Paul specifically mentioned the sin of covetousness. And that's the sin of the heart to desire what another has. And, you know, I imagine Paul uh, looking around at the people that he met on his journey, uh, people living simple lives uh, and just coveting their lives every day uh, because their lives were a lot easier than Paul's. Uh, Paul had no wife as far as we know. Uh, he had no place to call home for the many years that he was on the road, unless you count a prison cell as home. He didn't work a nine to five job where he got to go home to a home cooked meal every night and sleep in his own bed. He, he didn't enjoy the relative peace of a man without conflict. So can we blame Paul if he coveted their lives uh, on occasion? 
And who knows what other sins Paul might have been referring to here. I'm just using coveting as an example because Paul did. Day after day, he knew that coveting was wrong. And everything uh, he knew was wrong, that's what he did. It's like he couldn't help it. And we have the same problem, especially for those besetting sins that we repeat over and over again and then repent of over and over again. We just can't seem to overcome certain sins. But the fact that we know that it's wrong and that it causes us pain is good. We wouldn't repent if we didn't know that what we were doing was grieving God. And when we repent, we are like Paul. We are agreeing that the problem is not God. It's not his law. Uh, The law is good. The problem is not with God and his law. The problem is with us. And that takes us to the third problem. And that is that sin still dwelled inside of him. Verse 17. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells within me. So now Paul comes to the heart of the problem. He knew that he was of the flesh. He wanted to do right all the time, but he couldn't. So Paul's epiphany was that the problem wasn't with his will. It was with the sin nature that dwelled within him. And that may sound like a cop-out, like like Paul's making excuses for himself or or pardoning his own sin, uh, but that's not what he was doing. Paul was just trying to understand himself. Uh, But our inner natures are truly unknowable. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Uh, But Paul was trying to understand how his will and his actions could be so different. And his conclusion was that there was a disease present within him. And it's sin. Sin clouds our judgment. It makes us do what we know is wrong and not do what we know is right. And Paul despaired over his sin nature. He lamented that he couldn't kill it. And he felt such disgust with himself over the problem of his sin that he talked about it again, repeating the entire pattern of the three problems in verses 18 to 20. He recognized the weakness of his flesh and that his will and his actions did not match. And he reached the same conclusion that it's not him, but the sin nature dwelling within him That is the source of the problem. So Paul noticed that he had three problems with his flesh. And he also noticed that there were two laws at war within him. Verses 21 to 23. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. And so Paul discovered that his body was the dwelling place of both good and evil at the same time. Though he wanted to do good, evil sometimes prevailed. The competing natures, the competing laws were at war, sometimes with good results and sometimes with bad If you mix sodium with chloride, they blend together perfectly to make salt. Uh, But sometimes when you mix certain chemicals together, they don't mix perfectly. Uh, I remember doing a chemistry project in high school. I had to make a a volcano and I had to make it erupt and have a lava flow down the side of this volcano. And so what I did was I I took uh, hydrogen peroxide Uh, and mixed it together with uh, some kind of acid. And these things don't mix together at all. 
Uh, you put them together in a small space uh, and there is no peace. There's only volatility. Uh, sometimes when you put certain things together, they tend to go boom. Uh, they react with each other to produce chaos. Now, I got my volcano to explode, uh, which was really pretty cool. Uh, and it's really cool in a model volcano, but it's not cool inside of us uh, because the law of God and the law of sin inside of us are like peroxide and acid. They don't go together well. Uh, they go boom sometimes. They're at war with each other and they cause their host a lot of stress. So this first law uh, that Paul talks about is the law of God. And, and the law of God is just God's will, communicated by his written word, uh, by the Holy Spirit, and implanted in our own consciences. We know in our inner beings uh, what the law of God is because we've been created in his image. We saw that in, in Romans 1 and 2. We have certain attributes that God has, like love and compassion. We can't, of course, exercise them perfectly like God does, but still, we can communicate these attributes. And Paul said that he found that he loved the law of God and he wanted to do things God's way. And that's why I think Paul was writing these verses from the perspective of a believer. It grieved him terribly when he failed to obey the law of God. But the second law is the law of sin. If not for sin, we would have peace in ourselves. We, we know God's will. We would do God's will. We do it perfectly. But there is something in us that shouldn't be there. Uh, it's an intruder, and it's sin. Sin entered the world in the garden when Adam and Eve fell, and it's been with us ever since. And sin makes us think impure thoughts and do things that are against God's will. And it causes all kinds of ethical and moral tension that we feel in certain situations, from uh, very silly things to big things. Uh, it's the, the ethical and moral tension that we feel in our lives is because of the conflict between the law of God and the law of sin. We know we shouldn't steal that stapler from the office and bring it home, but the law of sin says, go ahead, uh, take that stapler. No one will notice you're underpaid anyway. They, they owe you the stapler. And not only that, they probably owe you a few reams of paper too. Uh, these are the kinds of internal struggles that we have with ourselves. We can't avoid these temptations. Sin is always there, tempting us to violate God's law. And Paul said that when he wanted to do good, Sin was right there with him. And as Paul contemplated this problem, uh, it's like it almost became too much for Paul. Like my chemical mixture that resulted in a lava explosion, the conflict in Paul between the law of God and the law of sin created an explosion within Paul. And it's an explosion of despair. But at the same time, it's good because it made him understand that there was only one solution to his problem. So three problems with Paul and his flesh, uh, two competing laws and one solution to the problem. Romans 7, 24 and 25, wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. Now, Paul realized that there was no solution in himself for the war that was raging within him. Now, as I said last week, here's how I would summarize Romans chapter 7 in one sentence. 
we are free from the law. But that doesn't mean that the law isn't good and useful. We saw that last week, that the law is good to convict of sin. But it just means that the law's value and its purpose is limited. And so as Paul is thinking about the law, uh, the law's value is limited because it can only show us our sin. It can only condemn us from our sin. We can't keep it, and it can't save us from our sin. So it showed Paul that apart from Christ, all he had was a body of death, and the only solution is through Jesus Christ. And so what does Paul discover as he's having this internal struggle? That just as he had to depend on Jesus for salvation, he also had to rely on Jesus for his sanctification too. We can't do it on our own. We can't become more like Christ in our own power. It's the work of the Holy Spirit within us, causing us to cooperate with the will of God that helps us grow. And the mature believer in Jesus Christ will still struggle to obey God. But the more sanctified we become, the more painful sin will be to us, and the more we will want to root it out of our lives, which results in further sanctification. That's the cycle. And so on the one hand, we have been released from the law's condemnation. We're justified. We're declared righteous by God at a certain moment in the past. But at the same time, uh, sin has a role to play in our lives in that it is uh, helping us through the process of sanctification uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit to get us to repent of this sin. So we see it, repent of it, uh, and put it to death in our lives. And so this process of sanctification will continue for as long as we live. We depend on God for both salvation and sanctification. So Paul can say, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. And encompassed in Paul's prayer is, is that thankfulness for salvation, for the blood of Jesus Christ that paid for his sins and for the grace that God supplies every day to help him in his battle with sin and to apply the blood of Jesus Christ to his sins when he fails. God's grace and the blood of Jesus cover it all. What a glorious Savior. What a glorious God we serve. Well, let's think of a couple of applications as we close our time together. And the first one is this. Confront your sin. Uh, I've told you impatience is a big one for me. I'm always in a hurry. I know God is going to continue to test me in this area because I keep failing the test and I want to do better. Well, what's yours? Uh, what's your sin? Let's not allow sin to be comfortable in our lives, allowing it to recline in our favorite chair like an honored guest. Let's treat sin like it's a family of raccoons living in our attic, and let's do all we can to get rid of it. So yes, confront your sin. But secondly, don't allow yourself to be defined by your sin. Our personal dilemma is ongoing sin, even though we are believers. And one response might be, wretched man that I am. We can be filled with hate and contempt for ourselves because we can't defeat sin. That's being defined by sin. We should confront our sin, but we should not be defined by our failings. We are not living under law. We are living under grace. The blood of Jesus Christ covers our sins. And when God looks at anyone who has trusted in Jesus Christ as Savior, 
he doesn't see our wretchedness anymore. God simply sees his perfect son. That's grace. So give thanks to God like Paul did. When we sin, let's confess it. Let's turn from it and let's thank God for his forgiveness and let's move on. Don't be defined by sin. Be defined by God's grace. You, believer, are a child of God, not a child of wrath. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, we do thank you for this incredible passage, and we thank you for Paul's struggle that shows us that it's normal for a believer to struggle with sin. And Lord, we thank you for it, and we thank you that we are indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit to help us win this battle with sin, to understand what your will is, and to try to accomplish it in our lives, Lord. Thank you for your grace that that saves us and that sanctifies us. And Lord, uh, help us as we try to win this battle. It's in winning the battle uh, that we show the world what the love of Jesus Christ looks like, Lord, and this world desperately needs the love of Christ today. So help us to show it, Lord. Help us to be obedient to you and to your Holy Spirit. And we thank you for what Jesus Christ has done in our lives. And we praise you in his precious name. Amen. Well, forward to seeing you all next week. Uh, pray that you all have a safe week, a uh, blessed week, and uh, I look forward to seeing you then. Have a great day, everyone.